Hi everyone, it's John and Ben, and welcome back to Santa by the Minute, the podcast where Ben and I talk about 1985's Santa Claus the Movie, one minute at a time. And this week we are on minute number 64. <laughs> you remember when the uh, Nintendo 64 came out and like all the games had 64 after them? Mm-hmm. You know, Super Mario 64, this would be Santa 64. Yes. This is what this episode, I'm going to name it Santa 64. Great. There are no video game references in this minute at all. Oh, man. I just made one. As I was saying at the tail end of our last episode, there is a lot to cover in this minute. Yes. So, Ben, buckle up. This is going to be quite the minute. I'm excited. I have a lot from the book, so... We have, we have a lot to go over this minute. So, I don't think there's any Santa Claus movie-related news here at the top of the show. Not there's, that I know of. There's typically not a lot of Santa Claus <laughs> <No>. movie news <laughs> in general, but if there was, it would be here at the top of the show. <laughs> so let's just dive into Santa 64, <laughs> where Honka, our good friend Honka, is finishing his sentence from last week. How the children send so many nice letters from there. It must be, as in it must be a nice place out there in the outside world. The world outside of the North Pole. And now, finally, you know, you teased it last week. What does the book reveal? Okay, so in the book, Vout is actually the one that says, um, I mean, we get such nice letters from there, it must be. And that was in reply to Boog, who said, the world's a nice enough place, isn't it? And then Honka replies to Vout, saying, don't worry about Patch. He can take care of himself. He knows the art of elf defense. Oh, you get to dust off (laughs) the elf pun sound effect. Yes. Hang on, fire it up right now and then reread the pun. Okay. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, sound effect. <laughs> he can take care of himself. He knows the art of elf defense. Oh, it's been so long. <laughs> can you pull up the breakdown on your computer and see oh. when our last elf pun was? Yeah, let me bring it up. Elf defense. Oh. <laughs> That one's golden. How could they leave that one on the cutting room floor? I'll never know. (laughs) It's in the comic, too. So we have not had a pun since minute 43 with Elf Starter. And that was another uh, book exclusive Elf pun, wasn't it? Yep. So be sure to add Elf Defense. So be sure to add Elf Defense to uh, to the breakdown. I'll do it right now so I don't forget. Someday we will share this with the world. But (laughs) in the meantime, it's exclusively on Ben's computer. (laughs) So, yeah. So that was an instance in in the book where Vout talked in this. He also talked when um, we kind of, we didn't really talk about the last minute. But um, all of them together said, Santa says patch gone it's all mine and anya said it's not your fault and Dooley, boog honka and vout all nudged each other and nodded and said 
not your fault, Santa. They all thought it was Patch's fault. They all agreed. So, which I have more on that, but I'll, I'll wait. I know we're, we're going a little... We're going all over the place, and it's only four minutes into this podcast. So on the screen, we do see a very concerned-looking Santa. Mm-hmm. He is concerned for Patch, but he doesn't say anything. But Ani can tell it's really bothering him. She puts a hand on his shoulder to comfort him. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, we're back in New York City again. Okay, so I should do what I need. I need to say what I need to say about this, because we're okay. going straight into New York City. Yep, yep. So, okay, all of I have more that takes place here in uh, Santa's house before they go to New York. So Yep, we need to get it all out of the way before we're back in New York City. Okay, so here we go. Uh, after this, after what we're seeing right here with Anya putting her hand on Claus's shoulder, mm-hmm. this everything I'm going to talk about happens after that. Okay. Okay. So, um, this is Santa thinking. The world is no place for an elf. He thought of the often harsh realities of the world beyond the North Pole, with its hunger and mistrust in countless varieties of sorrow, which he had worked for so long to brighten in its own small way. The elves had no first-hand knowledge of such things. Their world was one of peace and comfortable order, though no longer of complete contentment. And then, then they talk about the self-defense that I've already talked about. And then Santa only sighed, shaking his head, and Anya put her hands comfortably on his shoulders. Nothing would be the same now that Patch was gone. He wondered for a moment whether there was some way they could find Patch and bring him back. But he only sighed without even speaking the thought aloud. No matter how much he might blame himself for Patch's running away or want to bring the missing elf back to ease his own sorrow, the fact remained that Patch had made a grievous mistake. He had not taken his responsibility seriously enough, and he needed to learn a lesson or two about maturity and responsibility, and perhaps going out on his own was the only way he would ever get it. I guess that's how the book kind of explains away what you expect to happen. You see Santa, you expect Santa to get this news and be like, okay, boys, we're going to fire up the sleigh. We're going to get Patch back. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the kids that I met earlier is going to join us. Let's go. It's like, nope, I'm just going to mope around here for the next uh, 45 minutes of movie. It's like, yay, Santa. So, coming up next is a debatable part of the movie timeline, but I think on this very episode, we are going to get it all straightened out. Now, for years, I assumed this was the following Christmas in New York City, because the first thing we see is a storefront in New York City, a building in New York City, with a Christmas light display out front. I believe this is a real building in New York. I think this is Saks Fifth Avenue, but I'm not 100% sure because the the DVD version I'm going off of is so dark. But I'm pretty sure it's Saks Fifth Avenue because the store that Patch pops up in front of in their very next shot is Toys Fifth Avenue, or Fifth Avenue Toys is the name of the store. In the uh, high-definition version, you can't see the name of the store either, that the, the or the building that the Christmas tree lights are on, but it does have awnings over every single window, and it looks like every window does have some sort of a display. So I think that goes right along with what you're 
Yeah, what do you this think? Is, this this looked to me like a real New York mm-hmm. city landmark and not the back lot of Pinewood Studios. Whereas Fifth Avenue Toys is not a real store and is a uh, Pinewood Studios set. Mm-hmm. And in addition to the Christmas light display on the front of Saks Fifth Avenue, is that we hear on the soundtrack Sheena Easton singing It's Christmas All Over the World. So you would automatically assume this was the following Christmas, Christmas of 1984, but it Christmas season. But it can't be. How, why, they, no way stores would wait from January 24th, when the Senate hearing recall was, to the following Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Sheena Easton has been lying to us for the past 36 <laughs> years. I guess this has to be like, oh, Saks Fifth Avenue must have been very late at taking down and shutting off their Christmas lights that year. And maybe they still had this Sheena Easton music playing. That's that's the only, that's the only logical explanation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long they typically leave their Christmas lights up. <laughs> I if mean, there are any, if there are any New York natives in the audience, <laughs> let us know how far after Christmas does it take for them to take down their Christmas displays in New York? Right. Because, I mean, even small towns where we are, sometimes their Christmas stuff stays up a lot longer than it should. <laughs> so, I don't know. Now... We are we are confused in the movie when this takes place. I mean, if you if you think out like you just did, it would you would assume it was right after the Senate subcommittee meeting. It has to be. Yeah. It a hundred percent has to be because not only that, I'm skipping ahead, but it would there needs to be time for Patch to produce and build all the things he needs mm-hmm. to uh, deliver the things that he's going to deliver later in the movie. Right. I completely agree with you. Now, what throws a monkey wrench into it is the novel. Oh, no. Which I know that you say the movie is canon, but, you know, we use the novel awful lot to fill the yeah, holes. Yeah, yeah, the movie, the, the book fills in some gaps, but we have to go by what's on the screen for canon. So, the book is a good supplemental tool to help us fill in some gaps, but mm-hmm. we cannot deviate from what's on the film. Yeah. All right, but go ahead. Okay, so what it says here is that uh, Patch had no intention of returning to the home he had abandoned, at least not until they begged him to admit to what he still saw was their mistake. So he wasn't going back till they said they were sorry. And so, not many days later, the most impulsive of elves found himself walking quite confidently down a street in midtown Manhattan, studying the windows of department stores and shops with frank fascination. Having left the North Pole behind did not mean that he had left his magical abilities behind, and he had made good use of them to improve his travel time setting an unmarked land speed record from North Pole (laughs) to civilization in the form of the Big Apple. And he chose New York City because it is a legendary hub of commerce, where it is said that the best and the brightest gathered to become successful, and that was certainly what he felt he was. So, um, here, basically, 
so the confusing part is it says that patch had no is it sounds like patch just kind of like popped himself to new york right after he left the north pole but he was take his title was stripped on christmas day and it is now one month later did it take him a month to get from the north pole to new york or and he just thinks that's fast according to google okay it is 3245 miles from the north pole to new york city so and he did it on foot i i don't i know we're we'll get into the poofing thing in a minute <laughs> I have a lot to say about the poofing and Patch's ability to use it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is something I'm, I was wondering too. He went out on foot with nothing but a little little bundle of reindeer stardust. Right. Nothing else. So yeah, that would be that would be interesting if there's a uh, Santa Claus the movie uh, miniseries. Uh, I want to see what happened. <laughs> Patch's road to New York. <laughs> Like every episode, he ends up in a different town and uh, has a different adventure before going on his way again. Right. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> but from everything we've seen, the magical poofing ability of Santa's does not work. He can't just poo from the North Pole to New York City. It, o- it only seems to work at very short distances, like the ground to a rooftop or a chimney to a living room. But the way Pat uses it is... He seems to be able to poof a lot, a lot further, maybe? I don't know where he poofs away at the end of this scene. That's the thing. He could just poof five feet away, for all I know. I don't know where the vicinity from Fifth Avenue Toys to Beezy's Warehouse factory is. Well. Do you know in the book? (laughs) Are we poofing around too much in this minute? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So... I don't know. I don't know how how his works. I mean, if he has to see where he's poofing, then he still would only be going one mile at a poof. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that would be 3,000 poofs. It's <laughs> a lot of poofing. I would think he'd be awfully tired. Yeah, this is this is something that raises many questions because we have seen no other character except the chosen one, Santa Claus himself, be able to use this magical poofing ability. And when Santa uses it, like I said, he can only go like a few feet. And yeah, and none, and and this is the first time we see Patch use it too. He never used it in the first half of the movie. I guess my, my theory, the only explanation could be is that it's something that you can do with the magic of Stardust. And Patch has Stardust with him. Maybe. Maybe? I don't know. We don't know. I mean, it just says he doesn't... I mean, it says here that having left the North Pole behind did not mean that he had left his magical abilities behind. Because we haven't seen elves with any magical abilities so far. No. So I don't know if this was something they were like, oh, hey, we need to make him actually look like an elf. We need him to do something magical. Yeah, or BC is not going to believe him. So going back to Sheena Easton for a minute, do you want to know a little bit about uh, good old Sheena Easton? Okay. Born April 27, 1959. She is a Scottish singer, songwriter, and actress. She is a dual British-American citizen. 
And, of course, she is a six-time Grammy nominee in the U.S. and a two-time Grammy winner, including winning Best New Artist in 1982. Now, there is a music video for Christmas All Over the World, which that um, arguably had more success than the actual movie it came from. But the funny thing is, the uh, music video, we'll link to it on the website, it's on YouTube, is five minutes long, and it's Sheena doesn't appear in the music video at all. It's 100% clips from the movie. It's like the entirety of Santa Claus the movie compressed into five minutes. <laughs> it's like everything from the movie, all the major things, from Santa and Anya freezing to death to... BZ in the courtroom having his toys ripped apart. I can't imagine somebody just tuning into, I don't know, VH1 or whatever and seeing this out of context. <laughs> that would be funny. We do see two store employees pulling BZ toys out of the window display. There are large standees, large promotional standees for Betty Beauty, the BZ Panda, mm-hmm. and, and I love it, and BZ himself. Yes. I love that the mascot for BZ Toys is this cigar-chomping businessman. Yeah. Not like Jeffrey the Giraffe or something that kids would like, but BZ himself. And it looks like the, you know, the, when you look at it from far away, the big, like, um, peacock tail feather that he has going on behind him, that's the sign, you know, for happy girls and boys. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It... When you look at it from far away, it looks like it's just a fan of money behind him. You know, he's like this this man wearing this snazzy suit oh, yeah. with a cigar. And it looks like it's just a big fan of money sticking out of his bum. It does look like a peacock tail <laughs> now that you mention it. Yeah, the logo says BZ Toys, a slogan for happy girls and boys. BZ wearing a big old BZ button. Has his arms outstretched, has a cigar in his mouth, and there's like a comic book word balloon next to him, and it reads, Hey kids, I'm BZ. All these great toys of mine are just for you. Ben, how much would you love to have one of these in oh. the package, BZ toys? I want, I want everything from this store window. I want one of these toys packaged like this. I also want all of the standees. I want all of the cardboard standees. I I want them so bad. It's such a heartbreaker that this movie didn't achieve like super yeah. super status, or else there'd be like expensive replicas. You could buy the BC Panda in the box, or mm-hmm. the Betty Beauty replica. Oh, that'll never happen. No. And if we had enough money to make it happen, like, three people would uh, would buy a <laughs> Betty Beauty limited edition out, off of us. <laughs> oh, I wish. But we do get a good look. We touched upon it uh, two weeks ago. Yes. The box for the infamous Electro Ampho car. Mm-hmm. In the air, on water, on land is what I can make out on my screen. Yeah. Does the high-def version, uh, can you make out anything more on the box? No, not really. I tried I tried looking on the high-def version, and I can't, I still can't make out what the word, the other three words are on the other side of the box. I mean, it says the amazing amphibious car, but underneath that, there are three bullet points, and I, I still can't make them out even on the high-def high version, so... You would think this is probably the most dangerous of the of the three. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, apparently it electroshocks the kids when they <laughs> use it, so. And that could be even worse when you use it in water, and it also flies. It reminds me of the Chitty Chitty, chitty Bang Bang car. It does, definitely. <laughs> oh, man, I would have loved to see that thing in action. I would love to have one of these. <laughs> Craft time, we're going to have to make it. People be, what's that? Oh, that's a toy that you see for like five seconds in 1985 Santa Claus the movie. Like, okay. No one that knows us would be surprised that we would make something like that. Or own something like that. Would you make the little mock-up box for it to go in that says Electro-Ampho car? Yeah, I would have the little mock-up box and then I'd have the car just sitting on top of it. And the BZ logo on the side. Mm Mm-hmm, yep. So Patch sees these employees just clearing the shelves of these toys. He comes to the conclusion that the toys are extremely popular. He doesn't realize that they're being taken off the shelves because they're dangerous or safety hazards. Yeah. They must be very popular. Look how fast they're going. So while Patch is watching this, next to him is a drunken gentleman drinking some booze out of a... uh, paper bag bottle in a paper bag this is this is the famous wino (laughs) who gets screen credit a lot of our characters have not cut screen credit so far as listeners know but wino let's see how many seconds he's on screen here he's he's on screen for about 10 seconds oh i see him i see him i see him he's over by the coffee shop oh okay he's leaning up against the coffee shop when you when patch poofs in okay so maybe he's on screen for about 11 seconds and then when you see patch you know you don't see anybody and then all of a sudden he's closer to behind patch again or at least i think that's him it looks like him because there's there's a gentleman over by the coffee shop that looks like he's drinking out of our paper bag i want to assume it's the same person he is very loudly drinking he, he's like comically gom, 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 yeah. gom. <laughs> and then patch disappears and he does like a take yeah this is a very uh like a looney tunes type thing like something unbelievable yeah. is happening and the drunk thinks it's because he's drunk on booze yeah. when it actually really happened mm-hmm. so uh, patch disappears and he does like gom. <laughs> well that, that was a little more exaggerated than what he does but it is still pretty exaggerated he does gom. In the book, he actually looks back and forth between the place where Patch just was and his bottle, and he uh, he shook his head and pitched his bottle into the gutter, and he turned and shambled away into the street without a word, still shaking his head. <laughs> that That's totally the Looney Tunes punchline. <laughs> when some drunk sees the baby kangaroo hopping along the city sidewalk or something, mm-hmm. he, he takes the bottle of booze and, like dumps it out or chucks the bottle and like promises never to drink again that sort of thing yeah that's what happened that's (laughs) what happens in the book (laughs) anyway before we leave uh wino we have we you know we have to give credit where credit is due like we do on this podcast right wino as his credit his character is credited in the acting been shaking her head it's all he's referred to in the book, Wino and Derelict. So, is <laughs> played by John Cassidy. His credits include um, 
a lot of supporting characters. Um, he was in 1978's Superman as a reporter, so that's, you know, a Superman connection, Salkin connection. Yep. He also played a mafia boss in 1983's Curse of the Pink Panther, and he shows up as a character named Kenny in 1986's Highlander. Mm. I don't know who Kenny is in Highlander. Doesn't, doesn't ring a bell. It's been, it's been a while. And before we leave this scene, before we leave Wino, Patch has already left the scene. Behind Patch and Wino in this scene, we see a van. And Ben, th- this van is pretty famous. Mm-hmm. This is in the trivia section on Wikipedia, the Internet Movie Car Database, IMDb. What is the significance of the van behind Wino? This van is from A Team. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. Well, it, it's probably well, not the actual a replica, A-Team van. A replica of the A-Team van. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably a coincidence, but it is the same make and model van as the A-Team van, a 1983 GMC Vandura. I don't know if I said that right. V-A-N-D-U-R-A. Sounds right. Yeah. I'm not going to doubt the Internet Movie Car Database. <laughs> It is close. It is parked extremely close to that car in front of it. It's almost like it was towed there. <laughs> no, the A team just had to park in a hurry. Yeah, they had to slam on the brakes. I love thinking that A team and Santa Claus movie not only take place in the same universe, but there's a whole A team episode mm. happening in the background of Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> now we need to look into the history of A-Team and see if any of their episodes take place in New York. Oh, man. And, uh... Okay, hang on. Well, we're going to have to do it for this minute. <laughs> okay, the first thing to pop up on IMDb is an episode that aired March 15th, 1983, called The Out-of-Towners. The A-Team agreed to help a beleaguered New York neighborhood free itself of a brutal mobster's protection racket. So maybe that is the episode that is happening in the background of Santa Claus the movie. Maybe. <laughs> maybe this section of the movie was uh, filmed in the same spot as the 18th movie. <laughs> 18th episode and they just use the same, uh, same street and everything. This is season one, episode eight. So uh, A-Team's going to be streaming someplace. So uh, <laughs> okay. we'll have to do a bonus episode someday. Yes, we'll add this, this to A-team. the list. Yep. Season one, episode eight. I'm going to write it down. The out-of-towners, a collection racket in New York City, prompts the target to fly the A-Team and to help them out. So next we are out front of the BZ Toy Company building the factory the warehouse this is where bz's office is mm-hmm. there's a sign that says please show your badge and another one that says bz once again with the slogan toys for happy girls and boys and i'm glad i didn't close the internet movie car database because now i know that pulling up to the guard shack is a 1978 cadillac fleetwood limousine that would that would that corresponds 
with um, what is happening in the book that leads up to this. Okay, we'll fill in the gap before we get too much further. Okay, so uh, what happens here? Not terribly far away, BZ was brooding in his townhouse. Now, I've, I've done a little bit of work here, and uh, if we remember from previous minutes, back when we first found Cornelia, uh, BZ lives in Manhattan on the Upper East Side in the 80s. So he's basically near Central Park in Manhattan. And it says here that his, uh, this particular warehouse is in Long, was, is in Long Island. Now, I know Long Island is an, is an island, so it's kind of hard to point out exactly. But it, when you put in Long Island, New York into Google, it is, uh, according to the car, if you drove, it would take you one hour and 40 minutes to get from Manhattan to the Long Island dot in Google Maps. So like I said, we don't know exactly where it is on Long Island, but it's somewhere in Long Island. The next morning after the Senate hearings, he boarded his private helicopter and flew out to his company headquarters. BZ wasted no time as the helicopter set down on the pad of the Long Island heliport. Muttering to himself, he strode a few steps to his awaiting limousine, which bore the same corporate logo as the helicopter. A hulking, heavy-set man in the chauffeur's uniform held out the car's door for him. And then, as BZ settled into the wide leather upholstered back seat of the limo towser was sitting there waiting for him oh we and don't see him in the movie this is where towser and bz have the whole conversation about the the um the fate of the business you know how everything is going so in the movie in the comic book it was still in the Capitol building after the Senate hearing. Yes. But here in the movie, it's on the car ride yes. to the toy factory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Does it play out like it did in the movie? Like, they're pulling them like they're disease carriers. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. Yep. They're pretty much exactly the same thing. And then it, it also mentions firing Simmons. Poor Simmons. Yeah. He probably didn't even see it coming. He, um, he says, BC says in here that, uh, he never liked Simmons because you can't <laughs> trust, a, trust a man who wears a bow tie. <laughs> he was sick of looking at it. So he basically fired Simmons because Simmons wore a bow tie. And then Towser says the Simmons has been with the firm for 30 years and BZ grinned with evil satisfaction. I mean, you can imagine this happening. If you can't stand the heat, don't work here. It was the credo he lived by, and it was always served him well. And then it, and then this is where it picks up of the limo stopping at the security guard station. And that's which, where the movie picks up. A security yeah. guard uh, looks in the window. Morning, Mr. Grizzard. Everything okay? Fine. I don't know if heavy set is how I would describe uh, Mr. Grizzard. 
no, they did not do a very good job uh, casting him to match the novel description. So I don't know if they had someone else in mind at first. Or if they didn't know who was going to play it and the person who wrote the novel just kind of made something up. Yeah, yeah, took some liberties with it. Yeah. It's definitely a menacing-looking gentleman. Yes. And he acts as BZ's chauffeur and bodyguard, mm-hmm. I would say, at yeah. some point. Yeah, it says in here... Um, his, his hired his hired thug, his muscle. Yes, uh, Grizzard, uh, he looked more like a bouncer at an extremely questionable nightclub, which he had been, among other things. He looked more like a bouncer than a chauffeur, and he has been a bouncer before. Wow, I did... Out of all the things I thought I'd learn today, learning some of Grizzard's backstory <laughs> was was not one of them. I just figured uh, they were just going to leave it at that. He's just a thug who works for BZ, but mm-hmm. he was a former bouncer. Yes. And he was played by John Hallam, born 1941. He passed away in 2006. His IMDb calls him a talented and diverse Northern Ireland-born character actor. Some of his most famous credits include Luro, I don't know if I'm saying that right, L-U-R-O, in 1980's Flash Gordon. He was also in 1981's Dragon Slayer. He was also the Red-Headed Baron in 1991's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was in a uh, 1980s episode of Doctor Who, just like most of the uh, yeah. supporting <laughs> players in this movie. Either Salcon Super... And the supporting characters either had a Selkin Superman connection or Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the red-headed Baron in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, 1991? I was trying to think. I'm like, that doesn't sound... I mean, I don't know what that... Is that just a guardsman? Like, one of the... Possibly. I'm not sure. His, he doesn't really stand out to me in... I've seen that movie 550,000 times, so... <laughs> uh, okay, hang on, I'm Google searching it right now. See if there's I, a Google image. Did he play a significant part? I'm sure it wasn't a major role for him not to even have a name other than Red-Haired Baron. Oh, no wonder I didn't notice him. He does not look anything like that guy. Are you sure it's the same person? It is, That's what. that's what the caption said. What? Holy moly. I mean, I I guess I can see it, but they, he put on, he either lost a lot of weight for this BZ role, or he put on a lot of weight for Robin well, Hood. Well, you have to keep in mind that Robin Hood was like a, almost a full decade later. Well, I know, I know, but I mean, that he looks a lot different. So the guard waves the limo through. And the next thing we see is Beasley storming into his office. Yes. His office is just covered with framed photographs of himself. I wish we could get a closer look at these photographs. Now, there is a, um, I think it's a deleted scene, but it's also in the book of him talking to his secretary before going in. Yes, there is a deleted scene on the Blu-ray. I didn't know when to get into it. But yes, before he storms into his office, he does storm by his secretary, Miss Abruzzi, and says, hold my calls, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. No calls, no visitors, no nothing. As Beezy enters the office, he takes off his hat, and he takes off his coat, 
in an a pure john lithgow beautiful touch i don't know if this was scripted or this is lithgow improvising but he rips the flower the butinet how do you how do you pronounce that the butinet the butinair i think i got it butinair off his uh coat the little flower um butinair butinair Boutonier. Boutonier, yes. Okay, all right. So BZ rips the little flower, the boutonier off his jacket. He starts, like, ripping it up, and then he throws it to the ground and then stomps on it. I don't know if that was a payoff from something that may have been cut earlier. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe somebody told him, wear this, it'll make you look more uh, likable or something. But yeah. even out of context, even just ha- what we get in the movie mm-hmm. is priceless. He, like, snuffs it out like a cigarette butt. I love it. (laughs) So then he heads over to his desk, opens up his cigar box. His his executive chair is facing the wall. We see the back of the chair. The chair spins around, and who's there? Patch! Who's there to greet Beezy? (laughs) It is Pat. He says, greetings. Greetings. Beezy is in shock. He goes, who the hell? And then he screams, Miss Abruzzi! Miss Abruzzi! I love it because we don't know what that means in the movie. <laughs> I guess we just have to assume that's the yeah. secretary's name, even though they cut out the part with the secretary. And in my head, we, 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 don't, we won't talk about Miss Abruzzi now. She does show up at some point in the movie. But she's never introduced. We have no context. We only know because we're movie nerds and know right. this movie inside and out. And, you know... It didn't even click to me until rewatching this minute over and over. That's what he's saying. I just said he thought he was spouting whatever. Like, blah, 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 blah. But, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, Patch responds to that. Don't bother. Oh, don't bother with that. If anybody comes in, I'll just vanish. You what? Vanish. And then the minute ends perfectly because Patch poofs out of the chair and our minute ends. And I feel so, like fr- from you're just dying to read something else out of the book and I just keep going and going and going and going. <laughs> So it's just a small, small joke because what happens in the book is that as BZ enters his office and a voice says suddenly and quite distinctly, keeping banker's hours, eh? I thought you'd never get here. And then the chair turns. Oh. You know, but so um, that that little part was... Looks like it was cut out for BZ to stomp on his flower. Because the stomping on the flower is not in the book. So there was like a little little change there. Well, I'm glad they went with the stomping on the flower. That is a lot yeah. funnier. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, how last, you know how last week I said you should start a TikTok? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first one, huh? one should be BZ ripping <laughs> the flower off his jacket and stomping on it. <laughs> And that's all it is. That's it. Anything else to add except how you probably wish that you could see those pictures? I wish so much I could see what those framed photos of (laughs) BZ were all about. If he's with celebrities or if he's like... It said... Oh, actually, it says... Pasted into landmarks or whatever. I put my book down because I thought we were done. But it says in here... BZ crossed the vast solitude of his office, his heavy footsteps making little sound on the deep rust-colored pile rug. He looked neither left nor right, ignoring the wood-paneled space around him, which had recently been expensively redecorated in black and gold, his favorite colors. 
On one wall was covered with plaques and photos of himself in better days, in grinning proximity to the wealthy and powerful. The wide range of plaques were awards presented to his company over the years by people, by people, <laughs> by people who had mistakenly taken BZ's pronouncements of quality and craftsmanship at face value. On the shelf below the plaques in pictures was a display of former best-selling toys in the company's catalog. And his desk was subtly raised on a platform so that anyone who sat across from him was seated considerably lower with all of the accompanying psychological feelings of powerlessness and smallness. Now, the awards and things like that you describe, yeah, we do see glimpses of those, but not in this office area that we're seeing right. in this scene with Patch and BZ. Off to the side of his office, there's like a boardroom area, mm -hmm. and that's where you'll see uh, glimpses of like the Toy Fair Awards at Betty yeah. Beauty one and whatnot. And I know what these are because on the bonus features of the DVD, there are like close-ups of these things in the background because there's mm -hmm. like a feature, bonus feature of the filming of that boardroom scene. Yeah. With all the reporters asking him the question. We'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that soon. Don't, we'll get don't to worry. that later. But, but what the book was describing is in like the boardroom part of his mm -hmm. office over here. I figured that it was talking about like the pictures of him. You know, it, I think it kind of combined all of it together. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Oh, man. This was quite the journey. Mm -hmm. This was quite the minute. We covered a lot of ground. We covered <laughs> as much ground as Patch did when he left the North Pole <laughs> and ended up in New York City. Yes. Whew. I feel like there's more to say. Oh, one more thing before we leave, before we wrap it up. Does the book say anything more about Miss Abruzzi to describe her at all? Oh, yeah. Or to say, hold my calls? No, no. It because we don't see her in... I think the only scene in this movie we see her is uh, she's the lady who's with BZ and Towser as they're cheering Patch on as the Patchmobile takes off on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. But that that's still a few minutes off. But they don't say, hi, Miss Abruzzi, how are you doing today? She's just like a person who's there in the room. Yeah. So Miss Abruzzi is a neatly and conservative to... Neatly and conservatively dressed like her boss. She was thin tense pale woman her physical appearance was mostly the result of having been personal secretary of a raging bully for years <laughs> and was her permanent nervous tick that jerked at the corner of her mouth makes me wonder if this was filmed and she like practiced that little nervous tick and we never got to appreciate it on screen i don't know We'll we, never we, we know. never know. Well, we, we're going to have to revisit that, uh, you know, <laughs> few minutes of deleted scenes on the Blu-ray. We're just going by memory. Yeah. So maybe when we revisit those deleted scenes, we'll have to look for Miss Abruzzi's <laughs> nervous tick. And in the meantime, you'll just have to use your imagination on what Miss Abruzzi looks like. Right. Because she's not in this minute, just in name only. And like I was saying earlier, it's like I didn't even realize she was even addressed by name on screen. I thought it was just in the credits, like Miss Tucker. Mm -hmm. But here he screams her name. So mm -hmm. there you go. So, Ben, where can people find us if they want to talk more about Santa Claus the movie? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Santa Minute. Or you can email us at SantaByTheMinute at gmail.com. Ben and I post a brand new episode each and every Wednesday. And as always, you can listen to any of our episodes for free!